Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Over 20 million people have already voted in this year's midterms. And Republicans score a big win in a key race for the U.S. Senate. We'll bring you major updates on the elections. Twitter removes nearly 2,000 accounts accused of stoking political division and attempting to influence the midterms. They are reportedly based in China. Chief Justice John Roberts intervenes in a dispute between former President Trump and a Democratic House committee. It's regarding whether the IRS should release Trump's tax returns. We speak with an expert in historical extremist movements for his take on the attack on Paul Pelosi that left the House Speaker's husband on the long road to recovery. And U.S. Embassy personnel are set to inspect weapons on the ground in Ukraine. They say they want to make sure U.S. weapons aren't getting into the wrong hands. We're exactly one week away from the midterm elections and millions of people have already voted, most with mail-in ballots. And Republicans score a big win in a key Senate race after a candidate officially drops out today. As of Tuesday, November 1st, exactly one week from Election Day, almost 26 million people have voted early. The United States Election Project, run by the University of Florida, says over 15 million of those returned mail-in ballots. University of Florida professor Michael McDonald says this is the make-or-break week for early voting. If the past is a guide, the volume should pick up. In Arizona, Republicans scored a big win in the race to take control of the U.S. Senate. On Tuesday, Libertarian candidate Mark Victor officially dropped out of the Arizona race and endorsed Republican challenger Blake Masters against incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly. In his endorsement, Victor said of Masters, We found ourselves in general agreement about how to improve America and advance the cause of freedom and peace. According to Real Clear Politics, Victor's support ranged from 1% to as much as 6%, votes that might now go to Masters. Arizona Senate races in recent years have proven to be extremely close, deciding the winner by less than 2.5%. Polls have shown that the current race between Kelly and Masters is close. And in Arizona's gubernatorial race, Republican nominee Carrie Lake said on Monday that her campaign had raised over half a million dollars since Liz Cheney recently attempted to derail her campaign in an anti-endorsement effort. Cheney targeted Lake in a 30-second ad urging voters to reject the gubernatorial candidate, which apparently didn't work. Lake called Cheney her biggest fundraiser to date. In Pennsylvania, one of the state's largest newspapers has endorsed Republican Senate nominee Mehmet Oz against Democrat John Fetterman. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette published an editorial piece saying that Fetterman's health is not an issue. The paper said his lack of transparency, however, in refusing to release his medical records is troubling. It suggests an impulse to conceal and a mistrust of the people. They also wrote that Mehmet Oz has shown he is better equipped to lead and deliver for Pennsylvania. This comes as an expert says control of the U.S. Senate might depend on who wins in Pennsylvania. So, you know, control of the Senate could come down to Pennsylvania and whether or not Republicans can get a hold or Democrats can flip. And so that's really what it, what's at stake here, you know, the final piece in who controls the United States Senate.
Meanwhile, President Biden is heading to Florida. He's expected to focus on the GOP's proposals to undo prescription drug price caps and change Social Security and Medicare. Biden's also scheduled to attend a fundraiser for Florida gubernatorial candidate Charlie Crist. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. In the months leading up to the midterms, Twitter says it has removed over 2,000 China-based accounts that stoke political division here in the U.S. The accounts are accused of trying to weaken the U.S. According to data Twitter released, the social media platform disrupted three China-based operations that tried to influence the midterm elections. The accounts amplified a range of politically polarizing issues, including allegations of voter fraud in the 2020 presidential election and criticizing transgender people. Twitter said two of the three networks promoted MAGA messaging, while one praised President Biden. Another network of 1,900 accounts pushed narratives favorable to the Chinese regime in both the English and the Chinese language. Many accounts, for example, echo the Chinese regime's condemnation of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit to Taiwan this year. Twitter removed the accounts, saying they were violating rules against platform manipulation and spam. Many of the accounts were active from April to October this year. They claimed to be located in the U.S., but Twitter said it discovered technical signals indicating that many were based in China. Some of the accounts attracted a large following. One of them had over 26,000 followers and received more than 400,000 likes before being taken down. And former President Trump won't have his tax returns released to a House committee just yet. Supreme Court Chief Justice John Roberts has taken action over the issue. Roberts temporarily halted a lower court order which required the IRS to release Trump's tax returns to the House Ways and Means Committee. Trump on Monday appealed the lower court order and asked the Supreme Court to intervene. The decision is not final, but allows the court more time to deliberate. The Chief Justice asked for a response from the House committee by November 10th. The chairman, Democratic Congressman Richard Neal, asked to see six years of Trump's tax returns. He says they're necessary to make sure presidents are audited properly by the IRS. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, is reportedly making steady progress on what the Speaker says will be a long recovery process after an intruder hit him on the head with a hammer on Friday. A California man is now being charged, among other things, with attempted kidnapping of a U.S. official on account of the performance of official duties. The attack comes as part of what seems to be an increase in politically motivated violence in the U.S. Earlier today, I spoke with Trevor Loudon for his perspective. An author and filmmaker, Loudon has spent more than three decades researching extremist movements and their influence on mainstream politics. Trevor Loudon, welcome to our show. Thanks for joining us. Oh, a pleasure. Thanks very much for having me, Stephanie. Now, we've seen a recent string of attacks making headlines that are said to be politically motivated, including the assault of Paul Pelosi. Democrats argue that attacks like this and the events on January 6th, for example, are fueled by inflammatory statements from conservative figures, including former President Trump. Democratic candidate for Arizona, Governor Katie Hobbs, recently also blamed the break-in at her campaign office on her Republican opponent Carrie Lake's rhetoric. What's your take on this kind of violence? The Pelosi thing is very problematic, you know. 
automatically it was assumed this was some political enemy of the Pelosi family, stirred up to a, a, a fevered rage by, by right-wing rhetoric. The guy is mentally ill. This is not your typical MAGA supporter. But so say it is politically motivated. Say this guy is a crazy man and he read something about, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi online sometime written by a conservative. So what? So what? There are crazy people who do crazy things all of the time. We have a justice system that puts blame on people for their actions. They don't blame a whole class of people for freely exercising their right to free speech. Now, some commentators are saying that violence against lawmakers may continue or escalate if politicians who deny election results aren't punished. Could this line of thought lead down an authoritarian path, do you think? Well, this is this is what Hitler did. This is what any totalitarian does. You, you seize on a group of people, your enemy, your opposition, then you demonize them. You make them less than human. You make them insurrectionaries. You know, President Biden come out there and basically called, called half of the country semi-fascists. You know, if that's not inflammatory, if that's not complete, a complete inflammatory lie and a generalization, you tell me what is. We've also seen violence directed at conservative figures, including a canvasser from, for Senator Marco Rubio, who was allegedly yes. beaten up for being a Republican. So what do you think could stop or stymie politically motivated attacks while also fostering a healthy democracy? It's very simple. We have to start applying the laws on the books evenly to everybody. That means people who come after conservatives violently need to go to jail. If conservatives do that, they need to go to jail too. Do you see any similarities between political violence happening in the US and political violence under communist regimes? Well, look, when the Bolsheviks took power in Russia, they had to consolidate their power. So what they did was basically weaponized the justice system against their enemies. They freed people from prison. They let thugs rampage on the street. They let them burglarize the houses of rich people and sack the houses of rich people. They applied justice unevenly. That was part of the terroristic, the, the, the plan to, to intimidate the middle class, to, to make them shut up, to, to get them out of the public square, that was revolutionary violence unleashed by the criminals on the streets. Well, what have, what have the Democrats done in several major cities in this country? Larry Krasner, the DA from, uh, you know, from Philadelphia, George Gascon, the DA from, from Los Angeles, they've basically made criminality legal. You can shoplift, you can steal, you can commit minor assaults, you can take drugs on the streets. The Washington Post reported today that Twitter has disrupted three China-based operations that were covertly trying to stoke division ahead of the midterm elections by posting about politically polarizing topics. Yeah. Why should Americans be worried about this? Well, Americans should be worried because much of what we think politically is driven by, by trolls and um, information farms coming out of Russia and China. Russia and China have been flooding. You know, the, the, the um, CIA is right about this. There are massive Russian disinformation exercises going on in this country. 
before the last election, the Russians would put stuff out anti-Black Lives Matter, then pro-Black Lives Matter. You know, they just wanted to get people fired up. So they see the existing divisions and their job is to make them worse because they want to provoke a civil war in this country. Because if this country's at civil war, we're not going to stop them invading Taiwan, are we? We're not going to stand with Ukraine, are we? We're not going to even defend ourselves because we're going to be so busy attacking each other. And so finally, what's your advice for Americans wanting to arm themselves, equip themselves to, to fight against this kind of battle? Well, look, the very first step is we have an election coming up and everybody should vote. So we're going to vote against communism. And then we have to start bringing people forward to actually start applying the law of the land again. We have to elect DAs that actually apply the law. We have to hold hearings in the in the in the um, Congress and the Senate about the subversion that's been going on for the last few years in this country. People need to be held to account. This country will only start to heal when the criminals and traitors and subversives who are, and revolutionaries who are trying to wreck this country are actually brought to justice. Then, when they're out of the way. Americans can come together and start restoring this republic. Trevor Loudon, author, speaker, filmmaker, thank you again for your time. Our pleasure, Stephanie. Thanks so much. And the man who allegedly assaulted Paul Pelosi with a hammer pleaded not guilty today to attempted murder and other charges during his first court appearance. A public defender representing the man, David DePape, entered the police. Leaked documents show that government organizations may have been working with social media to silence parts of the American public. NTD's Daniel Hall spoke with a constitutional lawyer who says this is a clear violation of the First Amendment. Years of leaked documents show the Department of Homeland Security may be working with tech platforms to allegedly police what it believes is disinformation. That's according to a recent report from The Intercept. The documents were obtained through leaks, public documents, and an ongoing lawsuit by Missouri Attorney General Eric Schmidt. The Intercept first reported the documents on Monday. I'd say this is a clear violation of the First Amendment. The First Amendment, among other things, protects against uh, companies being compelled to act in service of government agencies, which is exactly what's going on here with the Department of Homeland Security. Also, I mean, not even to mention the freedom of speech of people who are speaking on various online outlets. Alexander Haberbush, a constitutional attorney, says the companies at the very least may be running afoul of state actor doctrine. That means they must respect things like the First Amendment. Yeah, in preparation for this, I've I've tried to come up with any kind of close comparison that I can find in U.S. history. There is none. You have to look at the history of the Soviet Union or of Nazi Germany to see this kind of curtailment of free speech um, that's been contemplated in this action from the government. Earlier this year, the DHS announced the Disinformation Governance Board. The documents showed the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, which is part of the DHS, policed misinformation, disinformation, and something they call malinformation. 
The way they define that is factual information shared typically out of context with harmful intent. That's factual information that they're suppressing. So the government wants not only to control the content of what is spoken, they want to make sure they're controlling all the connotations too. It's, it's literally an effort to control competing narratives. Despite disbanding the controversial disinformation governance board, The Intercept reports that the DHS is still working to police the spread of information. The focus is allegedly on a range of topics including COVID-19, vaccines, racial issues, the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, and Ukrainian aid. What concerns me more is people who are using social media companies to express their own views and who may have those views censored or suppressed as a result of basically what the government is directing these companies. Though at least one lawsuit is underway, Haberbush said there would need to be legal precedent first for a class action lawsuit. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. U.S. officials are saying it appears that Russia is running low on weapons to support its war in Ukraine. And U.S. Embassy personnel are now conducting weapons inspections on the ground. NTD's Jason Perry has those details. Uh, in the past 36 hours, Russia has launched nearly 100 missiles attacking Ukraine's water and energy supplies. After the attacks, State Department spokesman Ned Price said Russia is running low on weapons and is now even attempting to acquire weapons from North Korea. Uh, so whether the source is Iran, uh, whether the source is indigenously produced Russian weapons and munitions, uh, whether Russia uh, continues its engagement with um, the DPRK, for example, uh, that I think showcases uh, the necessity of going well beyond what would otherwise be its comfort zone uh, to support, to source, excuse me, weapons uh, and uh, material uh, for this war effort. Price explained that the U.S. is using sanctions to counter the flow of arms from Iran to Russia. And for the flow of arms from the U.S. to Ukraine, the Biden administration has given more than $18.5 billion in security assistance to Ukraine. The Pentagon is now doing more in Ukraine to make sure those U.S. weapons are staying in the right hands. Uh, we do have small teams uh, that are comprised of embassy personnel that are conducting uh, some inspections of security assistance delivery at uh, a variety of locations. Uh, and again, this is part of a, a broader effort um, of the U.S. government to track U.S. provided uh, capabilities and to prevent the illicit spread uh, throughout Eastern Europe. He added that they have no indication of U.S. weapons that have gotten out of the supply line and into the wrong hands. The general did not specify whether these embassy teams were military or civilian personnel. But he added this. Uh, we've been very clear there are no combat forces in Ukraine, no U.S. forces conducting combat operations in Ukraine. These are personnel that are assigned to, uh, to conduct security cooperation uh, and assistance as part of the defense attache office. He also said the Pentagon continues to talk with companies like SpaceX to address Ukraine's satellite communication needs. SpaceX, which is owned by Elon Musk, currently has a satellite called Starlink, which is providing Internet to Ukraine. Jason Perry, NTD News. Coming up, Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro today addressed the public for the first time after the election. Many feared he might not concede and transfer power. And in the NBA, Steve Nash is out as head coach of the Nets. Meanwhile, the team has reportedly already lined up another big name to replace him. And today's Dave Martin has the story. That and more coming up.
Brazil's President Jair Bolsonaro today spoke to the public for the first time since the election on Sunday. He asked his supporters not to be violent, and his administration said it would begin the transition of power to the new president-elect. Our methods can't be the ones the left uses, which always hurt the population, such as invasion of property, destroying public property, and restricting citizens' rights of freely moving and traveling within the country. Before the election, many left-wing politicians and voters said they feared that Bolsonaro would try to stay in power by use of military force if he lost the election. In his short speech today, Bolsonaro indicated that his administration would begin the transition of power to President-elect Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, better known as Lula. Brazil's Congress now consists mostly of right-leaning lawmakers after this year's election. Bolsonaro said that because of this, he believes that conservative values will prevail in Brazil. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. The Brooklyn Nets and head coach Steve Nash have parted ways, the team announced Tuesday. The decision was a mutual one, according to an ESPN report. Nash lasted just over two seasons on the job, compiling a 94-67 record. Though the team boasted at one time a superstar trio of Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden, a number of injuries, as well as Irving's COVID suspension, contributed to a disappointing performance. Now, to be fair, the writing was on the wall after the team was swept in the first round by the Boston Celtics earlier this year. After the season ended, Durant asked for a trade. ESPN then reported in August that Durant met with Nets owner Joe Tsai and asked him to choose between him and the general manager-coach combination of Sean Marks and Steve Nash. After a 2-5 start to the season, the change was made. ESPN is also reporting that the team could move quickly to hire suspended Celtics coach Ime Udoka, who was formerly an assistant under Nash as head coach. The Celtics would reportedly let Udoka leave. And in tennis news, seven-time Grand Slam champion Venus Williams hinted at a possible retirement in an Instagram post Monday night. The post commemorated her 28th anniversary as a pro and reads, I can recount the wins and losses, but in the end, it was always about the pursuit of my best self. Every day, win, lose, or draw, I can look back with no regrets. It's all been worth it. And for your sports schedule tonight, four NBA games are on for this evening, highlighted by the Brooklyn Nets with interim head coach Jacques Vaughn hosting the Chicago Bulls. Meanwhile, in hockey, a dozen games are on scheduled for tonight, including the Boston Bruins, who at 8-1 have the league's best record. They play at Pittsburgh. And finally, for you baseball fans, after yesterday's rainout, Game 3 is tonight in Philadelphia with the Phillies starting Ranger Suarez while the Astros counter with Lance McCullers Jr. And that's a wrap for sports. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And lastly, today six piano finalists competed to win gold at NTD's sixth international piano competition. NTD's Arlene Richards reports from Merkin Concert Hall. Today is the finals in NTD's sixth international piano competition. Six contestants will go on to try and win that first prize trophy and $10,000. Let's go inside and see who's performing. Young Yi Chen from Taiwan debuted in 2009 at the age of 10. 
He has since performed on renowned stages across the world, including the Walt Disney Concert Hall in Los Angeles and the International Summer Academy of the Mozarteum Salzburg. Bereshevsky Antony from Ukraine is a soloist with the National Philharmonic of Ukraine and first prize winner of the 2014 Arthur Rubinstein International Piano Master Competition. Evangelia Delazonis Kukwa from Russia was born into a family of musicians and started on the piano at age three. She is pursuing a DMA in piano performance at the USC Thornton School of Music with Professor Stuart Gordon. Uh, it was a great chance to play the final. I am uh, very pleased and honored to be selected as one of six finalists uh, because the level of the competition was very high. Trinity Goff from the United States is the 2020 winner of the Van Buren Concerto competition and is currently studying with Jean-David Cohen of the Willamette University. Josie Zhang from China recently won the 2022 Piano Texas International Piano Festival Concerto competition. He is currently pursuing a Bachelor of Music degree at Oberlin Conservatory of Music under the tutelage of maestro professor Dang Tai San. And last, Aruth Masrangzen from Thailand started on piano at age 13. He is a student at the Kaninklitch Conservatorium with professor Denis Prasheyev. He said he knew learning the foundation of Western music would be beneficial to his training. It is really challenging to play only classical repertoire up to the Romantic era. This competition required contestants to play only pre-1900 compositions. Its mission is to promote traditional arts, bringing out the pure authenticity, goodness, and beauty. I just finished watching the performances, but they won't announce the winner until tomorrow at the Future Stars concert and awards ceremony. You can watch it live streamed on ntd.com, or you can come to the Kauffman Center and watch it in person. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. And well worth it. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.